0: This, I'll, I'll go through this relatively quickly and slow down on the parts that I think are most relevant to um, the group. So, A cluster is just uh, the, the group of um, personality disorders that kind of cluster together and different than the other two. So, in this cluster is paranoid, schizoid, and schizotypal. And schiz means like a, a, a split, like a cut. Um, so, generally it's thought of as a split or cut from reality. Okay, this is just I came across, which I thought was interesting. It's a way to look at these different personality disorders and how they kind of bundle together. So borderline has got a little bit of everything it looks like. Um, and then the antisocial and narcissistic is more along the sort of greed and causing trouble to other people, um, and that it comes around to them just because they're, they're difficult. And then these, the other ones have a little bit more fear and sort of internal stress. So, schizotypal, avoidance, obsessive-compulsive, and borderline have an internal feeling of just not feeling comfortable. And so, the ones we're going to be talking about are the ones um, avoidance, schizotypal, and paranoid, which is probably in the back there. Okay, so this is one of the ways... Excuse me. We learned about it in medical school, which is kind of awful. Weird, wild, and wimpy. So, weird is... uh, Cluster A, sort of people on the, so the schizophrenic, kind of odd spectrum. And then the wild is the borderlines, and they're out of control, and they're all over the place. And then wimpy is like the, the ones that just don't want to leave their house, and they're worried all the time, like uh, avoidant. It's terrible. <laughs> and it's even worse that I put it in there. I'm like, this is awful, but I'm going to put it in there. <laughs> OK, um, so schizoid. This one we'll spend the least amount of time on. It, it's not very interesting. You don't see it very often. People don't go out much. They don't ex- have many friends. They don't express a lot of emotion. Um, it's not something you're going to come across very much. I won't even go through all the details, but it's it's kind of the the withdrawal from life that people with schizophrenia have, but it's not quite bad enough to be schizophrenic. It's kind of like the these people would work in a in in a watchtower or. You know, the, the one that they always talk about is the, um, what is it, the lighthouse. Yeah. Oh,
1: the, the, they, they,
0: work, they like to work in the lighthouse and they don't want to deal with people.
1: Rob ahead. Rob CIU, so is it kind of like having schizophrenia but only like the negative symptoms? of schizophrenia? Similar to that. Yeah, I mean, that would be an easy way to sort of thumbnail it.
0: It's someone with schizophrenia, just the negative, but not causing a lot of problems, not getting out much, just kind of sticking to themselves. It's sort of... Right? I mean, yeah, and they
2: don't want to. They don't care. They're, yeah, they're not care. interested in not having interested. relationships yeah. with anyone.
0: That's a very important distinction. So one of the things we talked about is a flat affect. So schizoid and schizotypal often have a flat affect, And what that means is they don't express a lot of emotion. I'm not saying Eminem is schizoid. <laughs> I'm saying he often, <laughs> in photos and in public, has a very flat affect. It's, it's part of his <laughs> Um But that's what a flat affect looks like. They don't, they don't show a lot of emotion. The one thing I did find interesting about Schizoid is that uh, there's this thing called Schizoid fantasy. So they actually don't want to go out, don't do anything, but they live in their own little fantasy world, and they have all these relationships in their head, and, and they sort of, that's how they interact with the world, is just through fantasy. And it's safe, so it's free from anxiety to live in your own little world. Most people can't do that. They can't. Everybody at some point... Can take some solace and fantasizing and you know being to themselves, but this is their whole existence. Okay, paranoid. I think is one that's worth spending time on. Um, so it's, it- it's interesting and it's a very difficult. So it's uh, pervasive distrust and suspiciousness of everything in the world. Everything is interpreted as malevolent. Um, And it starts in early adulthood as all the personality disorders, and it sort of permeates to everything. They're not just paranoid about the guy trying to sell them a car. To them, the whole world is trying to sell them a car and trying to screw them over. So imagine, like, when you're at your most dubious, like someone's trying to sell you something. That's how they are with everything all the time always. It's not a great way to live one's life. Um, and it's interesting, so this guy is one of the fathers of uh, psychiatry, and so he described this a long time ago, over a hundred years ago, as always on alert to find grievance without delusions. So this is his description. Vain, self-absorbed, uh, sensitive, irritable, litigious, obstinate, and living at strife for the world. So these are the people that you guys probably get a lot of contact with as police uh, They're always complaining about their neighbors, they're complaining about this, they want you to arrest that person, they want you to check on this, and and they don't have a lot of evidence, but they might show you a whole bunch of made-up evidence, or ask you to find the evidence, and why aren't you doing everything, and it can be very, very difficult and frustrating. So this just uh, says, I don't trust... A single one of you fuckers. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I found it on the internet. I like the way you <laughs>
1: emphasize
0: the, the F word. <laughs> Sorry, please. <laughs> <but>, uh, yes. <laughs> the rest was. <laughs> okay, so paranoid personality disorder It's interesting, but it's very difficult. So um, it's characterized by a pervasive distrust and suspiciousness. We talked about that. So, to qualify for the diagnosis, one must, it's the same with every diagnosis in the DSM. You have to have like one of the following for a certain amount of time and it has to cause distress. So, you, uh, you need at least four of the following. So, you don't need all of them, but you need four. Okay, it's su- suspects without su- sufficient basis that others are exploiting, harming, or deceiving them. So, imagine, well, we had this case, Ben Jolly, right? His neighbors are constantly trying to torture him, They're constantly trying to get one over him. They're building, you know, they're making noise. And they, when, as soon as the police leave, they kind of do mean things to their animals. And there's just no proof to this. But, and he's preoccupied with this, with the doubts, of the, with the loyalty. of. It could be the police. The police aren't really doing anything. They don't really, they're not trustworthy. They're not helping me out. They don't trust anybody. So he said, why don't you talk to this person? Well, I don't trust them either. And they're reluctant to confide in people uh, because everybody's acting against them. Everybody's malicious. So it's kind of them versus the world, usually. Okay, this is another thing they do where it starts to start to feel psychotic. They read hidden messages and things. Well, this person, you know, they, they walked out at 5.30 in the morning, and they never go out at 5.30 in the morning. They must be casing my house. Why else would they leave at 5.30? Oh, people go to the airport. They do stuff. And you tell them, they, oh, and they're out to get me. Um, They persistently bear grudges. This is another very personality disorder thing to do for, for paranoid. They, they will hold grudges for a long time. So let's say some of the neighbor does actually do something wrong. They'll never going to forget that, and that just builds the case, and then everything is wrong about that person. Um, they're constantly on the look for attacks on their reputation, on their character, and they're quickly counter Like, if this person does this, I'm going to get them. And that's, and they're often paper tigers, but they're not always. They can be mean and they can be aggressive. Uh, but a, a big chunk of them are kind of all talk and no action, but not enough that you can say that across the board. Um, and they're always kind of suspicious of everybody in that why this is its own category, but the fidelity of a spouse or sexual partner. So they believe that they're being untrue sexually. Okay, so working with paranoid people. So the first thing you want to do is confirm that it's paranoia. So let's say you go out on a call and the neighbor is uh, spying on them and they're, they're setting up cameras. It's possible, right? Neighbors do kind of screwed up things, and so you want to look into it. And so, and not just as a show, you want to legitimately investigate it. And if you find no evidence and they continue to say it's there, you don't know, then you can start to think of paranoia. But first, you give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And secondly, you can't confirm a diagnosis until it's really paranoid, like it's not based in any kind of reality. And that's what's called reality testing. So the, the neighbors are, you know, they're coming over and they're stealing our dog food from the backyard because they hate our dogs. It's possible, right? It's possible. And the way you reality test things is you you ask them to show evidence, you ask them to... Reality testing in general just means checking to see if someone's grounded in, in reality and the way you do that is you ask them questions and you test it against what's real. So if someone says, I'm the President of the United States, very quick reality test is no, you're not. Here's a picture of Trump. He's the president. That's a reality test. Um, as we know, but it's worth reminding, don't argue against delusions. Then You don't say, no, the neighbors aren't doing this. I mean, obviously, you have to go on record and, and state facts, but state facts clearly and not as accusations. Oh, you're wrong. This is what's happening. That's what's happening. It's more, hey, I don't see any evidence of this. I see no cameras. I don't see anything just matter of fact this must be really scary for you but i don't see any of this so you sort of agree with them without agreeing uh if that makes any sense so you, you sort of take their position but say you know there's just no evidence if my neighbors were spying i mean i'd be really scared it's always good to look at the emotion i'd be worried i'd be anxious but there's just no evidence here so you know what go ahead
1: uh, detective baby ciu i have a question regarding that because you're right a lot of us in the field or when I was in the field we came across that and some to say something along the lines of I believe you're you're seeing that I believe you're feeling that I believe whatever that you're but um or however I don't I'm not seeing that is that something that could potentially offend them if you're telling them like I believe you see it However, I don't you know like the, the,
0: I believe that you believe. I, I yes. sort of have mixed feelings about that one. It's how you to do it. You know, I, I think that I believe that you believe means it's basically saying, I think you're crazy. So it's how you come across in saying it. I think that that mindset is very important. And if you really convey it, honestly, whatever words you use, like, gosh, I know you must be seeing these things. And I know it must be terrifying for you. And I know. It's scary. So I, that's like saying, I believe you believe, but I just don't see anything. I don't have any evidence. I can't find anything to to actually make a case here. And maybe there's something else that's going on. Possibly maybe you're just scared or PTSD or something. You know, you, if you're looking at it in terms of um, <coughs> aligning with them but not agreeing with them. Does that make sense? So the sentiment is right. I believe that you believe. But if you just like quickly go to that, well, I believe that you believe, but you're fucked up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't help. Uh, another thing is be as transparent as you can be. So I remember getting advice from one of my attendees a long time ago, and he's like, you know, paranoid people, they're going to want to look at your notes. And I said, what do you do? about that? show it. You
1: know,
0: they say, what are you writing down? And I turned my notes, and I said, this is what I wrote down. You have to be more aware of what you're writing down. <laughs> but if they want to see it, and there's no reason for them not to, it's iterable or whatever, just show it. I, I don't think there's... A big downside to that. General, I mean, you use your best judgment. Okay, working with, so this is what I was just talking about. Don't patronize, don't roll your eyes, huff and puff. These things seem very obvious, but we all do it either knowingly or unknowingly, and it's good to have a partner to go out with this because somebody who knows you well. Because it's going to be, you're going to get short-term, you're going to roll your eyes. These things just happen automatically. And often, not always, but often people with personality disorders are like experts at picking these things out. Um, because that's how they've made it through their whole lives. And sometimes they develop these personality disorders because partially they were abused and neglected and they have to be very good at reading cues. So if your parents abused you um, only when they're in a bad mood or only when they're drunk or only when they roll their eyes, you're going to be really good at picking up on that stuff. And that extends to the entire world. Um, so be very careful of that kind of stuff. Um, the, the best you can do is sort of observe, reflect back to them, be open, honest, curious is a really good word. You're like, gosh, that's interesting. You say the neighbors are doing this and this. I, I just don't see it. What are you seeing? What else are you getting that I'm not? Sort of open, open-minded is curiosity without jumping to judgment or, anything along those lines. I mean, you have to at some point, but don't jump. Okay, working with paranoid people continues. Okay, so another thing is, this is a little bit, you can do this at any point in the interaction, but focus on what's good in someone's life. If you if you meet a paranoid person at the grocery store and you're just chit-chatting with them, you might not know anything about it, that. Right, it's only when you ask them about their paranoia that they start to unwind, not always, but sometimes. So one of the things you can do is look for other things good in there. Like, hey, you know, this sounds awful. Neighbors, you feel like the neighbors are after you. They're, they're always on your case. They're stealing food from your dogs. This must be a really hard way to live. Is there anything good going on in Like, what's good? Where do you want to put your energy? You know, do you have any good relationships? Do you, are you involved with who knows what? You know, are there friends or family that you can reach out with? Another one I like to ask is, hey, if you go away on a vacation for a few days, are you still worried about this or do you actually feel relaxed? Um, because that can help you with some of the, the differential and also with the intervention. Like, hey, one of the interventions is why do you move to another state? <laughs> um, but, you know, you never know. There's a chance that there's some truth. That some, I think I have seen this over the years that neighbors know that they're getting a rise out of people. So they kind of needle them because they don't want them there anymore than anybody else in the neighborhood. So they'll, they actually will start to needle these people, hoping that they'll leave. Um, so that's another angle. Hey, the neighbors, maybe they are really needling you. Why don't you move? Um, and then always look for danger. The easiest way to, ask for da- to look for danger is just one ask, but also look for things that might not be as obvious. You know, what would you do if someone came on your property? Do you have a gun? You know, are you going to shoot first and ask questions later? Like if the neighborhood kid comes to look for his baseball, are you going to blow him away? You know, that kind of stuff. But ask in a tactful manner. <laughs> no. <laughs> not like, how are you going to murder people? <laughs> but, you know, how are you keeping yourself safe is one of the easiest ones. You know, gosh, the neighbors are out to get you how you keeping yourself safe. Well, I'm going to get a lawyer. And I'm going to get the very best lawyer there is. Okay, great. But I'm going to get a gun. Not so great. I mean, it's not illegal, but it's not so great, and of course, it's worth more conversation. Hospitalization for personality disorders really isn't the greatest, um, but if they do have another comorbidity, they do have something else that's treatable going along with it, which often happens, like if they're very, very depressed and suicidal, you can treat that. You're not going to treat the personality disorder, but you can treat the depression. Um, So, hospitalization is not off the table, and it can be worthwhile in certain cases. So, this is paranoia, the unmistakable feeling everyone is out to get you. And what I like about this picture is, for those who can't see, it's the Muppets and they're all holding guns and knives and automatic weapons and looking very um, gangster, gangster. gangster and mean. So, but if you have bad enough paranoia, that's how you view the world. Everybody's kind of out to get you, even the Muppets. There's no safe harbor.
2: Oh, he's got a
1: beard too. <laughs> first, first got a Rob, Rob Garnan, CIU. So doc, it probably sounds like a good idea that, you know, you disprove, like when they start trying to wrap you up into their paranoia,
2: mm.
1: like uh, a personal experience. And I, I screwed this one up when I was very new on the unit. I had a case where somebody was very paranoid about everything. And I asked him a certain question that he thought was super odd and goes, oh, huh, that's funny. How did you know that? <laughs> and starts wrapping me up into this, oh yeah, kind of delusion that he had this paranoia, and uh, I, I just I didn't know how to. Re- I, it caught me by surprise, so I didn't I didn't go on the record saying I disproved it or anything. I just kind of let it like I don't even know what you're saying, and that further worsened. You started it. getting and nervous. And I don't know
0: what you're talking. About. It's not <laughs> part of the
1: conspiracy. <laughs> So just disproving
0: it right away? No, I think, okay. yeah, that, that's the setting the boundaries. As soon as they say, you're in on this too, you say, I'm not. Uh, I just met you. That goes a long way. I've never reviewed your case if that's the case. Yeah, I, I just met you. This is exactly, that's the transparency. You this is what I know. This is what I don't know. And If they don't believe you, they don't believe you. There's not much you can do. But being very matter-of-fact, very on the level, um, can go a long way.
2: And what I would add to that, too, is don't engage in an argument around it, because yeah. it'll just escalate. I was, I was assaulted as a resident, and it was because of, I was insistent on saying, like, no, this is, this is the real thing. Like, let well, me set you right in, in terms of this delusion. And that was the wrong thing for me to do, because that person was not ready to hear what it was that she believed. Right? So, like, yes, making your point known that <laughs> I'm not part of this, but then disengaging from any potential argument.
1: It. Rob Garnett from CLU, uh, it seems like when you do try to present any kind of logic or reason, it's always met with, well, that's because you destroyed the, the evidence. And they take it one step further and say you're, you know. Sure.
2: It's hard not to engage yeah. in that, too, right? Like, you want to set that straight for them and say, no, like, I'm, you want to continue with the rapport. Um, but there's ways to circumnavigate that by not entering into an argument. And oftentimes, some pe- sometimes people want that. Right? Like they want the argument
0: part of it. No, I, I couldn't agree more with what she's saying. So if someone's trying to suck you into an argument about the delusions or suck you into their delusion, Change itself. Be like itself. This is no longer a fruitful conversation. And if they keep coming at you, keep coming at me just leave. I'm gonna
1: say just because it's, like, it's uh, not helpful. This no <laughs> longer <laughs> fruitful
2: <laughs> 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 Say it just like that, and I'll be like <laughs> For me, patients will say, like, what well, do you believe? Or you, you tell me about yeah. like, you, and I'll say, This is not about me. This, you know, like so I'll try to redirect away from me if it if it becomes about me. Yeah. yeah. That's very good. excellent yes Excellent.
0: Response. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, so, so giving clear boundaries. One, sometimes one of the things that could be helpful when we do this at CIU is, hey, you know, you're, you're calling every day with a new update. Why don't you call once a week? Why don't you just leave a message on the answering machine, which we'll check once a month? And what that means is usually a race, right? Um, but and you, the only thing you have to say is, if you are feeling suicidal, the answering machine is not the place to but other than that, we really are interested in your care, and we, you know, we want you to have somebody to tell it to. It doesn't mean you have to listen to you. So it gives them something to do, and then they they give it they give you that information. Also, comorbidities are common, and if someone's paranoid, they're usually anxious too, and they're often not sleeping. And these are things that you might be able to get them in to see services. So not for their paranoia. Oh, you're crazy, and you need antipsychotics, but man, you're not sleeping at all, and if you really want to deal with the neighbors and all the stress, you probably need some sleep, and you need to deal with your anxiety, and then you can deal with this problem much more clear-headedly, and that sometimes works. Um, and also medical, if they have any medical complaints, that's that's probably the least intimidating. Oh, you're having headaches? Man, you should probably go to the doctor, and then you can coordinate with the doctor. Um, If they've been infested by something, that's another thing. uh, You can get people CT scans if they have actual indications for it. Okay. People know this quote. You cannot stop them. You can only hope to contain them from Michael Jordan, who's probably one of the best basketball players, if not athletes, who ever lived. And he was so good that they're eventually they're like, he's gonna get 40 points. Let's just try to get him down to 30 points and focus on the rest of the team or give him his 40 but as long as the whole other team doesn't score. And so the point of this slide is when working, he's the paranoid personality disorder. They just keep coming at you, and they're very good at what they do. They've been doing this their entire lives. They've been practicing since they were 15 on how to be paranoid. And so you can't really stop. them. You're not going to make them unparanoid. Unless you're a psychotherapist with incredible skill and have a whole team of doctors, it's just not going to happen. So try to contain, you know, let's only visit you once a month. Let's just leave this message or, you know, there are consequences to your actions. You're going to go to jail. We can't visit you every day. We're going to have to disengage. Whatever it is, contain them as best you can. Same thing. I don't know. This is from some old movie. I have no idea what it is. Does anybody know what that is?
2: No. And, very, and it looks good, right? She's very paranoid yeah.
1: I so, hope he's paranoid. Someone actually wrote an M on his back. <laughs> <laughs> that's true.
0: Freaking out. That's true. What? such a good yeah. paranoid face. True. <laughs> so same thing, you can only stop... You can For paranoid people, try to contain them as a goal, not as a... Like with your case of the schizotypal, try to get them on the sex register. If you can do that, that's really Some a hard run. And if you can't do it, at least you try. Yeah. Okay, schizotypal. So. I'll read through these quickly, and we can look at a little bit. So what this is, I think the most interesting thing here is probably the magical thinking. Um, This is like, uh, if you think of schizoid as the kind of negative, and the flattened, and the blunted, and the totally removed part of schizophrenia, this is more like the hallucinations, delusions part of schizophrenia, but not quite bad enough. I mean, that's sort of a very quick way of thinking of it. They just kind of have weird ways of thinking, and they magical thinking is a great term because that's what children do. So children, it's normal to have magical thinking. Santa Claus is coming or, you know, if I just do this, then something wonderful is going to happen. And, and, you know, we play games and these games are real and I have such a great imagination. That's all magical thinking. So, you know, if I just uh, if, you know, put this doll here and that doll there, then my parents are going to come. Home. That's all kind of normal stuff for children. It's not so normal once you're 30, right, to have that kind of thinking. And a good example of magical thinking in the media is friends. A lot most people see friends. Phoebe, she's kind of always kind of out there, and she talks to her cats and, and, and all these kind of things. But she can function. The, the difference between her and schizotypal is she's on TV, so she has a lot of affect. She's very interesting, and she's very emotive, and... Uh, usually, schizotypal aren't. They they can be, but they usually aren't. But that sort of idea of reference means like people are thinking about them, and and they have these magical powers, and they can control minds, and minds can control them. And so Phoebe has all that. Personality disorders are fun because pretty much every sitcom has somebody with a personality disorder. There's always a usually, and usually schizotypal is one of them, like the weird guy, like Kramer. It's the weird schizotypal. There's usually a schizotypal character, and there's usually, for lack of a better word, somebody with a low IQ. Um, And so those those are two archetypes in pretty much every sitcom ever written. Um, And they can get paranoid. They can have flat affect. They don't have a lot of friends. What's hard about them is that it's very difficult to treat because they don't see themselves as having any problem. At least a paranoid person perceives that there's a problem but they don't perceive that they're the problem, but there's a problem. Someone with schizotypal often don't see a problem, but they don't think they need any help because that's just how it is. And everybody around them might suffer a little bit, but they don't see it as a problem. Um, And so therapy can be very difficult with people with schizotypal personality disorders because they don't have a lot of insight. And they also have, you know, these magical thinking that is not easy to treat. And then group therapy, because he can quickly go off the rails. <laughs>
1: I didn't no know they did group therapy. <laughs> but that sounds very interesting.
0: So one way to deal with schizotypal is uh, talk to friends, family, separately. Uh, avoid, advise them not to enable them. And this is what you were talking about in, in the case with the sexual predator, uh, potential sexual predator, of uh, the family sort of wrote them off. But engaging people who know them can be helpful. Um, and, you know, giving them kudos for when they do the right thing. And in this case, doing the right thing might be cutting them off financially and saying you're you're giving them money. That's not that you think it's the right thing, but it's not. You're just making it worse. Let the government have that angle of, you know, Social Security. They're getting Social Security, and we can use that as a lever to get them into treatment. Um, let's see. This one is more closely related to schizophrenia than some of the other ones, and it can, I think it can run in families, and that's it. Any questions, thoughts, concerns?